Good morning to all of you. It's good to see everyone once again this morning on this Lord's Day. We'd like to welcome again all of our visitors. We're so glad to have you amongst us. And um, if you have any questions, if you'd like to know about what it means to be saved, also we'll be glad to talk to you about that as well. Um, We're continuing in our study in Hosea, and so if you would please turn with me to Hosea chapter 8, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning, we're continuing to work through Hosea, Hosea is one of the largest minor prophets uh, books of the Bible, and so um, I think we're almost to the end, we have about I believe five or four more chapters, but the Lord have really blessed us and we have been able to plow through uh, this book. Um, In our text this morning, we're going to be considering Israel's failures by taking a careful look at some of the sinful mistakes the Israelites made that still harass us and still annoy us in some sense to this day. And the thing in particular that we're, we're talking about is self-centeredness. Um, but I think um, at times we're able to see this kind of bleed out when we go to funerals. Uh, you can kind, kind of see how a person values God or not values God. You can see how a person may have thought deeply about God and how they have not. You see really the divide between life and death, the divide between a believer and an unbeliever. But what I found in some of the funerals that I've gone to is that there is a song that people like to sing or like to have sung at their funerals. And I think it describes what we're going to be talking about today. The song is called My Way. You're familiar with this song. It's sung by Frank Sinatra. Uh, It was made famous by Frank Sinatra. And so a person who uses this song as an anthem for their lives says something about themselves. The life we live reveals who we are. And so listen to the lyrics of this famous song. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, but more, much more than this. I did it my way. Regrets, I had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. 
Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried. I've had my feel, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did it all. That, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got if not himself? Then he has naught to say the things he truly fears and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. So we can kind of picture what this is all about. And I think when we read our text, we're going to see some similarities, the people of God. But I wonder how Spurgeon would respond to this. He might state, and I quote, self-esteem naturally keeps Jesus out of the heart. And the more our self-esteem increases, the more firmly do we fasten the door against Christ. Love of self prevents love of the Savior, unquote. Then I might add, therefore, we cannot do it our way. So please follow along with me as I read today's passage from Hosea 8, just wanted to give an introduction before we read the word of God. Hear now the word of the living God. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long would they be incapable of innocence? It is from Israel. A craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. But they sowed the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. 
They have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering around. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princess shall soon rith because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. They have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it. But the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, your word is holy. Your word is without error. Your word is efficacious for us to live by. The principles therein is your standard. Lord, the principles therein is the means by which we must live by. It's the means by which we must apply ourselves, that we must give the application, that we might know you, that we might come to the knowledge and to the truth of your word, that we might grow and mature in our faith as we are the children the most high God. And so, our Lord, we pray that you will make your word lit for us, illumine your word, that we might be able to gather the treasures therein. We might take from your word what you're saying to us, individually and collectively, Lord. May your word go forth with power, bringing about change and transformation that we might be empowered by your spirit to do all that we're called to do, giving you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Save the unbelieving one today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've, I've named today's sermon, today's sermon title, Are You Robbing God of His Glory? In our text, the Israelites are faced with all sorts of tempting circumstances. The challenge they're faced with is whether or not they will depend upon God for help. Or try to work from 
an autonomous position, making their own decisions without divine intervention. In these verses, we will see that while facing temptations, they will either seek God's guidance or they will determine for themselves what they believe is best for them. In this life, we will have to make all kinds of decisions, and in the midst of those decisions, temptations will come. How we respond makes all the difference in the world. I have four points. Point number one, self-indulgence leads to divine judgment. Point number two, self-made idols are offensive to God. Point number three, self-sufficiency is a declaration of independence. And point number four, self-willed worship poses the will of God. Beginning with point number one, self-indulgence leads to divine Judgment. What is self-indulgence? One dictionary defines it as throwing off restraints and throwing off discipline and yielding to the desire to gratify selfish appetites and cravings. It says, if one throws off the word of God so that one could live however they feel they ought to live. It's yielding to one's own desires of the flesh. These desires are often understood as being corrupt or gross immorality. It is a lifestyle practice of neglect to satisfy a person's desire for comfort and pleasure. The Lord Jesus described the Pharisees and scribes as indulgent people because of their hypocrisy. We see this in Matthew 23, verse 25, when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. They were feeding their appetites and their desires instead of feeding the people the word of God. So keep these definitions in mind as we work through the text. And so we're going to begin in verses 1 through 3. We see the people rebelled against God. And then in verse 2, they cried out to the Lord for help. And then verse 3, they rejected that which was good. So in verse 1, the text says, set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. The people transgressed the covenant of God and rebelled against his law. And because of it, the people were in grave danger. The sarcasm the Lord uses here is scary. 
The Lord is about to rain down judgment on the people of God. So he states, set the trumpet to your lips. In those days, it was more than likely a chauffeur. A chauffeur is more like a bugle. You could think of a ram's horn, if you would. But it was used to call God's people for worship, and it was used for going out to battle. God essentially saying, is saying, sound the alarm because I'm going to pounce on you like a hungry vulture. God, in essence, is about to wage holy war on his people. The people of God were facing divine judgment because they transgressed God's covenant. They rebelled against his law. Now, if God said this to his people, then in what ways do we relate to disobedient Israel. We know we have the comfort of knowing that Christ have died for our sins and paid for our sins, but it does not mean we are without responsibility. We're still held to the truth of God's word and to live by it. So we're to come alongside of these Israelites and we're to see how do we fit in. So how have you disobeyed God this week? How have you broken his word? What moral tests have we failed? Israel rebelled against God knowingly. We are familiar with the, scripture, with the scriptures and what it teaches. The question we ask ourselves, are we knowingly disobeying God's word. That their sins were premeditated while knowing the divine instructions given to them by God. Then the Israelites had the audacity to call upon God as if they were in good fellowship with him after practicing idolatry. The Israelites said to God, my God, we, Israel, we know you. God's people were in trouble, so they cried out. But, but, were, there, but were they crying out to God because they were ready now to obey the commands and follow him for the rest of their days. Was this their desire? We know that in the text, it would be a no. The people, as before, were being hypocritical. Yes, they cried out, but they weren't willing to change. We see it all the time, people cry out for help, but when it's time for help, they renege on their promise just like last time. Are we the ones not keeping our commitments? Are we hypocritical? 
Are we claiming to know God and his word, but fail at practicing it and carrying it out? Are we a people who do not obey God's word, but only acknowledge it as such, the word of God? If so, we are participating in bringing shame to the name of Christ. And so the scriptures here, it's speaking to us about the necessity of living in step with God. For a short time, it appeared that the Israelites finally had a change of heart and was beginning to place faith in God. But verse 3 helps us because it says otherwise. In verse 3, the text says, Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. Another word for spurn is rejected. In other words, Israel's enemies will hunt them down because they've rejected that which is good. Everything good is from the Lord. So in rejecting the good, they in essence rejected God. They knew the word of the Lord. It was given to them through Moses. So they were familiar with the word. So to commit premeditated sin against God before his face is even more sinful or carry more weightiness to it. And we're able to see this. Let's, let's turn to Deuteronomy 30. And let's look here for a moment what God was saying to the people. Moses is stating this to the people. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commands and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you should surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So you see, they knew what God required of them. They knew the commands of God. 
They broke the commandments of God by rejecting the good. And uh, as a consequence of their actions, according to verse 3, it says, An enemy shall pursue or persecute Israel. Did God give you plans to follow, but you were unhappy with them? You weren't satisfied? question we have to ask ourselves is do we know more than God? God expects us to trust in him. However, if we are self-indulgent, we abandon our restraints and this will only lead to ruin and God's judgment. The only remedy for self-indulgence is a transformed life. Through Jesus Christ. That's the confidence we have in knowing that we can go to Christ. We can confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ is our remedy. A new life in Jesus helps with self-indulgence. Also, it will help with seeking God's will for our lives. It helps with living in accordance with God's will. It helps with seeking God's will. But Colossians 2, 21 through 23 warns us of the danger of self-indulgence. In the text, it states, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And centuries before, the people of God so desired to have a leader like the other nations. You remember that. Rather than trusting in the all-sufficient one, the one who supplies our every need, the people of God wanted to be like the other nations. So the Lord their God gave them their heart's desire. They chose for themselves Saul, and he was anointed king. But Saul, because of pride and the fear of David, a man after God's own heart, did not obey God and caused the people much trouble. The people's desire to have their king is the backdrop of verse 4 when the Lord says they made kings. But not through me. They set up princes. But I knew it not. In other words, they did not come to God to seek God's counsel. Instead, they did things on their own. They made their kings. They set up their princes. Anytime we do anything separate from God, we are destined to stumble and fall. 
The Israelites were faced with the temptation of doing things God's way to yield God's results or to do things themselves and doing it their way. The problem is their way was done without God and his word. And God would not approve of such leadership. He refused to be associated with their kings and princes, but they insisted on having their way. They trusted too much in themselves. How about us? Are we feeling so strong that we don't depend upon God for anything? Do we believe too much in ourselves? Have we failed to rely upon God for all of our issues? Do we take everything to the Lord? This is the challenge for us. Sin and problems of various kinds can be avoided if we simply place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and wait on him. Do we ignore the clear path the scriptures treads out for us? Do we depend too much on our external experience? In other words, in what do you place the most value? Who is the most valuable player in your life? If the Lord is not, then who? Who are we valuing most? If we're not valuing God, we've created for ourselves man-made idols. You could say self-made idols. My next point, self-made idols are offensive to God. Continuing with the rest of verse 4, it states, with their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. According to this statement, the Israelites, the Israelite people brought about their own destruction because they made for themselves idols to their own likening. The people had once again involved themselves in pagan worship. The unfortunate thing is that they had done this before and now they've slipped back into their old way of living. They've done this before shortly after the Lord chose them as a nation and here we go again. We can relate to them struggling with this. We can relate to the struggle because we've had difficulty in certain areas of our lives repeating the same old sins, falling once again on our faces. Immediately following verse 4, the people of God made for themselves another idol. This is more than... uh, this is more than just an idol representing themselves, but this, this is an idol that represents the nation of Israel. But in following their actions, God expressed himself in verse 5 saying, I have spurned your calf. 
O Samaria. My anger burns against them. In response to the people, God conveys his rejection of their golden calf. Then he asks them a rhetorical question stating, how long will they be incapable of innocence? It's because of their practice of sin that they're incapable of not being included with those who oppose God, those who sin against God. In other words, like the others, their time is running out and they still haven't repented. They're still a long way off from turning to the Lord. We know that this can't, this can't be God, these particular idols that they're making, because man made it. No one makes God. God always existed. God is from eternity to eternity. God is spirit. So he therefore cannot be made with hands of men that are created. So you see the senselessness of this. But... What did the people do? Listen again to verse 6. It states, for it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. This is if God said, you're wasting your time. A man-made idol really is stupid. It really is. And this is why the people are facing destructions. They want a man to make them an idol so that they might call it God and worship it as such instead of worshiping the true God of Israel, the one and only God. They instead used up their resources, gathered up everybody's gold and silver, and said, we'll make our own God. We don't have to depend upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We can see the stupidity of what the people chose to do. And so how can their man-made God reach the level deserving of worship when the people are the ones who donated the scraps of silver and gold to put the thing together? manufacturing their God was the work of their own hands, and now they're going to worship it? They're going to put their trust in a dumb idol? This is great stupidity. So we can see why this offends God, but, but we're not far off when we value the things we love the cars, the houses, the money, the bank accounts, 401ks, all of those things, everything that falls in the created order that could be lost, it's stupid for us to put our hope in those things that could be lost. It's foolish for us to do such things, but the struggle is real. We can't act like it's not there, but we must be aware of it. 
so that we might, with God's help, make the changes we need to make and trust only in the one and only true and living God who never fails. He's the one we are to put our hope in, not in man-made idols. Psalm 115, 4 and 8 says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. In verse 8, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Dumb idols. We become dumb if we follow that path. Practicing idolatry would only lead to destruction, therefore we take no part in it. Psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm 28, in verse 7, the Lord is my strength and shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped, my heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to him. If you're here today, you haven't placed your trust in the Lord. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. The reality is this. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No more looking into yourself. You, you must look beyond yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. None of your accomplishments matters to God. He seeks perfection. And he seeks glory. The Lord Jesus provides that. He provides the perfection that is needed to enter the kingdom of God. God gets the glory in that. And whoever placed faith in him would be saved. The Lord provides everything you need for salvation. He shed his innocent blood for your sins. He died and was buried all for your sins. And he rose again from the grave with all power so that those who believe in him would be saved from their sins. No one who is apart from Christ can save themselves by their own works or their own deeds. And no one in and of themselves, is sufficient enough to save themselves. The whole human race is hopeless without the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads to my third point. Self-sufficiency is a declaration of independence. One Bible dictionary defines self-sufficiency as the capability of providing oneself Without the help of others. Those who are self-sufficient people, in other words, need no one. As a nation throughout history, Israel always struggled with trusting in the Lord. And because of their failure to trust God, they so readily gave in to their fears. There are many things that we grab and hold on to because we're not trusting God. The minute we trust God, he takes away the struggles that the flesh have to deal with because God is sovereign. 
over all things. God is sovereign in strength and he's sovereign in weakness. God is all-knowing. He has all wisdom. There's nothing he needs to find out or figure out. God knows it all. And not only that, he sees it all. It's nothing that is hidden before the eyes of our God. But yet, the people of God still struggle. And so, because of their failure to trust God, they so readily gave into their fears, which caused them to make irrational decisions. And sometimes we make irrational decisions because we haven't given it over to the Lord. We haven't trusted the Lord for it all. We're still grabbing hold to the stirring wheel of our lives, wanting to be in self-control. So the struggle is real. Listen to uh, some of these verses in verses 7 through 10. The text says, for they saw the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour. In other words, this is the, the recompense. This is the consequences of their actions. And verse 8 says, Israel is swallowed up already. They are among the nations as a useless vessel. They're blending in with the other nations that do not believe in God, and they've become useless. It's a warning to us. To make sure we're not blending in with the world and becoming useless for God. It says, for they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princess shall soon rift because of the tribute. In this case, Israel has joined the other nations and sought their protection instead of trusting the Lord their God. Look again at verse 8. It states, Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. Can you imagine their humiliation? The people who fought against the other nations, who conquered them, is now begging for them to rescue them, to secure them. What this caused the people is humiliation. It causes them to be humiliated because of their distrust in the Lord. Instead of trusting in the Lord, they rather used up their resources to provide for them security and safety. This is a shame because God always offers this for free. Without charge. God loves us without charge. We don't have to do anything for us, for God to love us. We see this in the text. And so 
we know that God, out of his character, divinely loves us. His divine love is for us. Now they've placed themselves beneath a burden they did not have to bear. But disobedience and independence require self-sufficiency. And autonomy always leads to destruction. We see this in in the verse, there it states in verse 10, though they, ha- though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. In other words, there's no way we can hide from God. He knows where we are. And it says, and the king and princes shall soon rift because of the tribute. No one can save Israel from the all-knowing God. He sees us wherever we are. No one can hide. Israel was found to be involved in many corrupt forms of worship, even self-willed worship. The Israelites were so into themselves that they went to the extent of creating their own style of worship. Instead of of following in step with God, they created their own style of worship. And so this leads me to our last point. Self-willed worship opposed the will of God. Verses 11 through 14 expresses it clearly. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they've become... To him, altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws, and by 10,000 they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it. But the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins, they shall return to Egypt. They're going back into bondage. The picture here might be, the, um, might be coming under the authority of Assyria. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall be and it shall devour his strongholds the people of God failed to offer him sincere worship they offered they offered self-willed altars for sin the people of God once treasured the word of God in their hearts but now their hearts became stubborn and unresponsive Do you easily respond to the word of God? Do it pricks your heart? Are you offended with the things that are in the world that God hates? Or do you easily accept them and join in? These are the challenges we're faced with because we're before the face of God 
We're always worshiping him. What I mean by that is that we're offering God adoration. We're offering him respect that is due his name. In other words, we're, we're, we're mindful of how we live before God. And so do you feel or sense the presence of God or do you so easily able to live your life without even contemplating him. It's as if we're traveling down the freeway and never notice the sun. The sun that is all over us, that shines in the car, on our hands, on our bodies, giving us vitamin D, all of those things, and yet never notice it. How much more should we notice our God who saved us from sin. A self-willed person is someone who insists on having their way while opposing the will of God, and in most cases, it also includes arrogance. Sometimes we forget and we give in to our sinful doubts about God's love for us. And this, in many cases, causes us to sin. We don't remind ourselves of the love of God. We don't remind ourselves of the power of God. We don't remind ourselves of the authority of God. And so because of our forgetfulness, it leads us into sin. We find ourselves doubting God's love. Sometimes we fail to realize how deeply we've sinned against God because we haven't reminded, remind ourselves of his character. Sometimes we make plans without God's help. And other times we make decisions out of fear that God won't come through. It's as if God needs a second plan, a plan B. But we ought to rest. Knowing that God is our refuge and strength, a present help in a time of trouble. We don't have to worry. The birds don't worry, the scripture teaches us. We are, we are his children. We've been bought with a price. And so therefore, we must make our decisions and plans with God. We're not to make our decisions out of fear that God won't come through because the results of these systems only lead to self-indulgence, self-made idols, self-sufficiency, and self-willed worship. These kinds of methods may feel good at the moment because we feel like we're in control. That'll last for a season. But when the storms do come a raging, then we'll find ourselves in need for the God over the storms. In conclusion, we must never forget the true blessings that come only from God. Only those who place faith solely in the Lord Jesus Christ can receive these blessings Pure joy is found only in Christ alone. 
Christians must realize that nothing in this world will give us more joy and satisfaction than knowing Christ. Self-centeredness is from Satan, and the person who trusts themselves can only expect curses of various kinds to come upon it. This is what the Word of God says. I close with these words from the Lord in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, curses the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Then it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. My brothers and sisters, keep faith and hope in God. Be careful Don't rob God of his glory. Include God in everything you do. Instead, may we, may we glory in our Redeemer. As the song we're about to sing says, I will glory in my Redeemer whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nares and hung him On that judgment tree, I will glory in my redeemer who crushed the power of sin and death. My only savior before the holy judge, my only savior before the holy judge, the lamb who is my righteousness, the lamb who is my righteousness. Let's pray. Lord and our God. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.